Good morning. Thank you for joining it with a six-pack, the Scotty Six-Pack, the only podcast that's bringing you the top stories in Wisconsin sports every single day. Plus, we do it in less time than it takes to complete your morning commute. I am your host, Kedra Sembris, and you can follow me on Twitter or X or Threads, uh, anywhere you hang out on the internet, at Kedrick Sembris, and follow the podcast at Scouting Sixpack to get the latest updates in Wisconsin sports. If you're watching here on YouTube, or if you want to catch the podcast on YouTube, you can find us there by looking up Scouting Sixpack, smash the like button, smash the subscribe button. It helps us grow the show and continue the conversation with the other Wisconsin sports fans. That being said, we have to spend the show talking about teams not in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, we have some pretty interesting Aaron Rodgers news coming out of New York that we should talk about. Also, a bombshell report by front office sports about PJ Fleck in the Minnesota Golden Gophers football team. Or is it the bombshell that that publication wants us to think that it is? Uh, before we get into that, the Milwaukee Brewers win yesterday to take the series over the Cincinnati Reds, absolutely dominating them for the season series overall and bringing their lead in the division back up to a game and a half. Uh, the Brewers win 3-0, have their 12th shutout on the season, and have a season-tying high 18 strikeouts tossed by their pitching staff. Freddie Peralta tossed 13 strikeouts, a really great performance by him in a year in which he has not been that great. Uh, Brewers, of course, have off today. Uh, we'll start their series against the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta tomorrow. But let's talk about uh, kind of the Green Bay Packers. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. And this is an important storyline for the Green Bay Packers for understanding the dynamic between Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers, and the front office, Brian Gutekunst, Murphy, uh, Matt Fleur, because this, albeit is mainly an Aaron Rodgers story, is still a story about how things played out in the front office over the last six months, 12 months. Um, of course, you know, going all the way back a couple of years. But the here and now of it is that Aaron Rodgers took a $35 million pay cut on his two-year deal with the New York Jets. Aaron Rodgers, when he was traded, renegotiated his contract, reworked his contract uh, in order to facilitate the deal from Green Bay to New York. Um, after that, New York was left with a $107 million cap hit for the 2024 season, you know, guaranteed for Aaron Rodgers. So it was always going to have to be the case that this contract was going to have to be reworked, restructured in a way that would give the Jets more flexibility around the Aaron Rodgers contract. However, what wasn't an inevitability was that Aaron Rodgers was going to reduce his guaranteed money from $110 million to $75 million. A huge pay cut that Aaron Rodgers in the past has 
said on the record that it's not one that he feels he needs to take that you know would be unfair to other quarterbacks in the league for him to reset the market that way uh Aaron Rodgers became the highest paid player in NFL history each of the last two times that he signed a contract Aaron Rodgers who signed a contract and Aaron Rodgers and the front office said that this was effectively a two-year deal for him to stay with the Green Bay Packers. And lo and behold, he restructures his contract, takes a pay cut to be in New York. And in doing so, tells the media that the team, the New York Jets, gave up significant pieces for it to be just a one-year deal. I'm aware of that. Anything could happen with my body or the success we have this year, but I'm having a blast, so I really don't see this as a one-year-and-done thing. I'm not sure that all makes sense in a vacuum. Um, if your worries are that, you know, the team that you need to be loyal to for some reason in the New York Jets when you've been there a few months, gave up so much to get you that you need to restructure your contract to do it 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 is odd to me because he had said the team gave up significant pieces for it to be just a one-year deal Aaron Rodgers goes into it with the understanding that it's just a one-year deal so he says that because the team gave up so much for a one-year deal I need to take less money I'm I'm very confused how the logic is it's just a one-year deal so i don't see it being just a one-year thing anymore because they gave up so much for me for one year i'm going to extend it even though they didn't think they were going to get more i'm going to give them more out of this deal that they hadn't thought they were going to get out of the aaron Rodgers and the way his brain works we all know is is nonsensical but I think the one thing that makes sense above all else is that Aaron Rodgers viewed his contract with the Green Bay Packers and the prohibitive costs of him retiring and the dead cap hit that would have produced for the Green Bay Packers as his no-trade clause with another name. Um, of note, Aaron Rodgers didn't negotiate a no franchise tag and no trade clause into this contract with the New York Jets. Um, and that was how Aaron Rodgers used his guarantees was for that no trade clause while he was in Green Bay. And even though Green Bay could have traded it to any team, Aaron Rodgers could have said, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to retire and leave the Packers with a ginormous dead cap hit instead. Uh, obviously, it didn't happen that way. He goes to the New York Jets, uh, signs a reworked contract to facilitate that deal, and then signs a reworked contract again. Um, it is, I think, frustrating as Packers fans to see this happen. But ultimately, I think what it says more than anything is just that the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the front office in Green Bay was so severely damaged regardless of who you think damaged the relationship it was so severely damaged that it, it is true that 
this relationship could not continue. Um, Aaron Rodgers tried to use leverage as you know, the franchise player to fire the general manager. Obviously, that failed. And instead, he signed a contract. And I think the interesting question now is whether that contract that Aaron Rodgers signed, which was told to the public, told to the media, told to fans, was effectively a two-year deal because of the balloon guarantees that the contract had. Was that negotiated in good faith? I think the question is up in the air because if the money was really not the issue, if Aaron Rodgers did not need to insist on being paid as a player who now is just a, a, a season or two removed from back-to-back MVP awards. If he didn't mean to be paid that way, and Aaron Rodgers has shown us now that he does not need to be paid that way, he has chosen to forego that kind of money. If he didn't need to be paid that way, why would he get paid that way for any other reason than facilitating his exit from Green Bay? We didn't necessarily hear any reasons this offseason that made things worse, apart from, you know, the, the front office wasn't going out of their way, you know, groveling for Aaron Rodgers to come back, more so just saying, hey, let us know. And instead, he said, I would like to be traded. I think that's one reason this could be the case that, you know, this deal was negotiated in good faith and ultimately... He kind of wanted to come back, you know, maybe didn't want to come back, but felt slighted that the Packers didn't want him to come back and wanted to go somewhere else. But was the money about, you know, giving him the opportunity to prove the Green Bay Packers wrong if they had decided to buy? Was the money, the dead cap, always part of the plan? Regardless of whether or not Aaron Rodgers intended to execute on that plan, did he very intentionally negotiate this escape hatch into the deal? Where he didn't care about the money, but he cared about what the money could do as an asset toward facilitating a move out of Green Bay. Was that really what was the most important? of the money not being compensated as Aaron Rodgers has said and although I I am not one to believe everything that he has said but this part is is verifiably true because we know what dollars and cents are he has he has said that it's not about the money he has already amassed generational wealth and as everyone says you know in their day and day right in their jobs it's it's never it's not always about the money itself it's about what the money says it's about being paid the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, the highest paid player in the NFL, the highest paid player in the NBA. And what that says, you know, you being the elite of the elite. Is that really what was it even important to him? Or was it 
him saying, I need to structure this contract in a way that the money is there for me. If I, but it is also there for me to use, not as a vehicle toward a direct deposit, but it is a vehicle for my exit from this franchise. And I, I think that, you know, maybe seeing how Aaron Rodgers has taken that pay cut may make GMs and Brian Gutekunst more reticent towards structuring deals in a similar manner uh, to what Aaron Rodgers got out of his last contract he negotiated in Green Bay. Before we move off of this subject, one thing to note is just the ridiculous capitulation uh, that Adam Schefter made when confirming the reports uh, of this deal today. Um, Adam Schefter went on Twitter and talked about Aaron Rodgers voluntarily taking a $35 million pay cut and saying, no team sport player is thought to have revised his contract in such a team-focused way in the past. What a load of just rainbows Lions coming out of the ass of Adam Schefter with that tweet. I mean, the way that some of these, you know, breaking news reporters, uh, you're, and I, I, I'm not even going to point to anything specific, right? I'm, I'm naming guys who do similar jobs. Adam Schefter's, uh, Ian Rapports, Sean Stuartania, uh, Woj. You know, the way they have to capitulate to agents, to GMs, to players in order to get the the scoop. It their their job is all about being the first. It's all about being the first. And there's plenty, plenty of stuff out there about, you know, the lengths to which uh these reporters will go to be the first. But oh my goodness, it's just so obvious that no team sport player is thought to have revised his contract in such a team focused way in the past that is agent talk just written and spat out by a reporter and it's it's gross like i get it this is your job everyone has a job everyone's got to do it but like oh man sometimes have have the smallest smallest bit of integrity and and focus around oh just a willingness to to speak out with without having to be a a propaganda machine, right? Because that's all this is. It's in such a team focused way. You are allowing yourself to become the propaganda for Aaron Rodgers, and it's just gross. Um, edit. If you are going to a Packers game. This upcoming season. Maybe you're going to New York Jets game this upcoming season. I don't care. Um, you should buy tickets for that game on TickPick. Uh, because TickPick is the number one service that I use uh, for all games that I want to attend. Um, when you buy your tickets on TickPick, you will never pay service fees or delivery fees uh, for tickets. And it comes with TickPick's best price guarantee. If you find a better price somewhere else for the same ticket, TickPick will refund you twice the difference in credit toward your next purchase. Plus, if you use my link in the podcast description, you will save $10 on your first order. 
So go to the Google Play Store, go to the Apple App Store, just go to your browser, type in T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, download the TipPick app, use my code in the show notes, click my link in the show notes, and never pay service or delivery fees for tickets ever again. Uh, let's talk about Wisconsin football, kind of. Let's talk about P.J. Fleck, someone who is not my favorite person to talk about, but someone we should talk about because Front Office Sports released a report that details a number of allegations against the head coach of the Minnesota Golden Gophers football team. And the report consists of six players who um, are quoted anonymously as well as a former member of the University Board of Regents. Um, and that former member of the Board of Regents has had some significant qualms, reservations, about how the University of Minnesota Athletics Department has operated in recent years. And those six anonymous players have come, you know, with, with quotes, with concerns, and front office sports makes it clear that, you know, several of those players unprompted used the word cult when talking about PJ Fleck and the team he runs at the University of Minnesota after taking the job uh, in January of 2017. There was a lot of Wisconsin Badgers fans, Wisconsin Badgers reporters, creators, influencery types, you know, retweeting or discussing this report and being like, oh, I can't imagine that PJ Fleck, you know, runs a toxic cult program, blah, blah, blah. Frankly, this report feels like nothing to me. Uh, and I I don't like PJ Fleck. I think he's a dope. Uh, <laughs> I am not the kind of guy who you throw the boat and wants to run through a brick wall for the guy. I wouldn't run on bulk wrap for him. It's not not my type. Uh, I don't get it. Apparently, some people do. It's fine. Um, but there's there's a lot of weird accusations in, in this report. Uh, ultimately, you know, the term cult being used by multiple former players and former staff members to describe the rowboat culture. Sure, I get it. it. It is what the University of Minnesota has decided to drape themselves in it when they hired um, PJ Fleck. But it is also just that's, like, fine. Um, it's weird. He's a weirdo. The report talks about <laughs> players being forced to practice giving P.J. Fleck ovations, standing ovations, extended applause whenever he enters the room. Also says that, you know, players came to expect there was only one acceptable answer to when they were asked how they are doing, and that is, I'm elite, not doing well. I'm good. You know, I'm fine. The response is, oh, you're not elite? That's weird. Uh, PJ Fleck also apparently, and there there was in front office sports actually was able to obtain a copy 
of, I, I think, at least sections of this binder. Yes, several pages of this binder. Um, a three-ring binder players were required to memorize and in which they were tested where there were several acronyms uh, and terms and mantras that players needed to remember, be able to recite to on command, you know, things like hyper, spelled H-Y-P-R-R, which stands for how yours process result response, or fist, family invested, same time, keep it tight. I don't know where keep it tight comes from. Um, but it's just, it's weird. It's a weird, you know, mantras, PJ Fleck dogmas that I don't think anybody who sees PJ Fleck and how he acts in public, in front of the cameras, is anywhere near surprised at this type of behavior. And it's not that these behaviors are criminal, are, you know, below the fold. Uh, there's only two things, really, in this report that are somewhat concerning. And one is that uh, multiple players say that <laughs> the team had what they called a select bank in which teams... <laughs> teams... English players accrue coins, coins for their flick bank, uh, by participating in volunteer activities or praying with PJ Fleck, um, among other things. And, you know, if they had <laughs> enough cash in their flick bank, they were able to get away with positive drug tests. Um, and this wasn't like performance enhancing drugs. It was yeah, I think what the front office sports article describes as street drugs. Um, you know, get get away with them, not have to go towards university review, um, which would typically be the athletic department policy. And although, you know, this in, does not seem like an equitable use of the university's drug policy it's not necessarily a huge issue like drugs are dangerous don't do drugs um but also at, at a certain point these are adults assuming a certain level of risk uh and if pj black wants to reward them for doing volunteer activities by letting them get away with positive drug test results like I don't think that's destroying the sanctity of competition in college football or really harming or doing damage to the well-being of student-athletes. It's just weird and probably not the right thing to do, but not something that I think anybody would expect a head coach in 2023 to be fired over. Um, the other more concerning part to me is that there were some allegations that players felt rushed to return from injury or didn't have injuries treated appropriately. However, a lot of this part of the report gets tied up into a larger review of the athletic department and how incidents in the athletic department were were handled 
um, with players being rushed back from injury. And the, the you know, previous report done in, in 2018, in September of 2018, mind you, uh, states, or, or sorry, that's, that's a different uh, review, but says that there, there were, you know, some incidents. It was not necessarily all within the football program, um, but some incidents in which players may have been rushed back for injury, but by and large, athletic trainers were able to, you know, independently do their recovery treatments for players and it, this being lumped into the athletics department altogether there was actually a review made seems like this is something that was investigated and largely found to not be an issue within the athletics department there was what what i had said was a, a review done in 2018 um mentioned that there were some incidents in which exercise had had been used as punishments for student athletes doesn't sound like it's a lot doesn't sound as if anything in here is different than what i would expect to be done on a sports team there was one allegation about um players being forced to run burpees until they vomit uh, obviously players should not be forced to do that um but by and large this is not something that feels like a real story that should stick to pj black there's just so much in here about previous investigations done by the athletic department you know in investigations done all the way back to the mid-90s an ncaa investigation released in the year 2000 about conduct in the 90s in the men's basketball program at uw or sorry at university of minnesota and it is just so odd to me that this story comes out now and you know a day before pj fleck is set to get to the podium at big 10 media days and it, it's veiled in this Quotes from a handful of players, former players, talking about the program as a cult, PJ Fleck as a cult leader. PJ Fleck does these weird things, but then also dives into just quoting, you know, investigations, reports done at the University of Minnesota from multiple years ago. And it feels like it is trying to make connections across the entire athletic department where connections aren't necessarily there. Um, I recommend reading the report uh, yourself in full. Uh, I read it a few times and just, it, it is hard to find a common thread in there that is particularly damning other than just PJ Black is a weirdo, which we already know that he is. So, um, Wisconsin will also be at uh, Big Ten Media Days today. Uh, should be very exciting. Uh, should be really great to see. 
uh, Tanner Mordecai, to see Braylon Allen, to see Amanda John Meta, and of course Luke Fickle, you know, speak to the media. And it should be good. Uh, you can watch that live on Big Ten Network or the Fox Sports app. Uh, but that is going to be all for today's edition of the Scummy Six Pack. If you enjoyed the show, follow us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Start every day with everything you need to know in Wisconsin sports. While you're there, leave a nice review, leave some kind comments, five stars. Tell some folks what you like about the show. Helps us grow and allows us to produce even better content for everyone. I've been your host, Kevin Stumbris. Thanks again for listening, and I'm Wisconsin.